All right. Let's get started this morning. So this morning, I, I have come prepared to preach a message about being transformed by community. You may have saw that on Facebook. But I got to thinking, Brother Donnie asked me, I guess, gosh, about two weeks ago, I guess he knew he was going to be gone. And so he asked me to preach. And I was like, of course, I would love to preach. I love when I get the opportunity to preach the Word. And so as I was thinking about it, he was asking me, of course, like every day in the office for the last week, he's like, what you going to preach on? What you going to preach on? I need to know. And I'm like, why do you need to know so bad? It's just like, chill out, brother. Um, but so on Thursday, when I finally told him, I finally broke the news to him, I was like, this is what I'm going to preach on, and I'm only going to have three points. And he said, three points? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm not like you. I don't have to have six or seven points. But I said, I said I'm trying to get us out of here by like 11.45. I said, I'm going to be like 20 minutes. And he said, that's not even a, a sermon. That's a devotion. I said, no, that's job security, brother, is what that is. So, but, but anyway, Brother Donnie, I hope you're having a... Having a fun time out there wherever you are this morning. If you're listening, I'm sorry. I had to dog you a little bit. It wouldn't be fun if I didn't. But so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You have your Bible? Go ahead and turn over to there. Romans chapter 12. So this idea of community, the youth, we've kind of been talking about that for the last few weeks. This is something really God has laid heavy on my heart over the past, just especially since we've been in quarantine, because we've had kind of a lack of community in a sense of not being able to, you know, sometimes meet at church. You know, praise the Lord, we've been back for a little bit now. Uh, maybe it was your job, you've been working from home, whatever it is, you know, sports teams, we uh, kind of have put a halt on that. Those are kind of getting picking back up. But nonetheless, we've been without a community for just a little while. And so it's made me really wonder, well, what is community? When we think about that word, community, and the dictionary defines it as a unified body of individuals with a common characteristics. That's a pretty, pretty simple definition. And we can like, yeah, that, that, that's true. You know, a, a community of people, whatever it is, you know, maybe where you live at. We all, you know, maybe live here in Hardin County. That's a community of people. We're all here at church today. We're a community of people. You're on a sport team with somebody, community of people, whatever it is, we're in a, a group of people, and we all share some sort of common characteristic. You know, we know it's important. The Bible speaks a lot about community. The secular world speaks a lot about community. We know that it's important, but often we struggle with community. We get confused about how to cultivate real relationships. We struggle once we're in them, and sometimes when two or three are gathered, we make community something really not to be desired, but instead dreaded. You know, we make, we make this big deal about, well, I guess I got to go to church today, or, well, I got to go to work, or, well, I guess I'll go meet up with my friends to eat for supper. You know, I really don't. I'd rather just stay home and watch Netflix, but I'm going to go out and do it. We make this big deal about having to gather in community. But, you know, the Bible calls us to community. There's so many passages, and this is just one of them today. And really, our goal of life is to live in community with others. And the goal of life is transformation through Jesus Christ. And truly, we are transformed by community. And that's where we get the sermon title at today. And so, what do we do? We find community in other places a lot of the time. We don't want to be too involved at church, so we look outside the church. Okay. We think of places to volunteer at, community organization. Uh, you volunteer to be a coach for a sport team. You volunteer to work overtime at work so you don't have to come to church. Whatever it is, we look for these outlets. So maybe we find reasons not to come to church or just to be more involved somewhere else. You know, we may get involved in the church 
or maybe we do nothing, or we do it so that other people can do it and not just us. But in the last few years, we've seen an uprising of, the, of cyber communities, okay? And what I'm meaning by that is like Facebook groups, okay? You know, most of us know what Facebook is. There's groups for everything on Facebook that you can join. There's Hardin County Yard Sale, where we find a lot of for sale stuff. There's um, groups for hunting, groups for fishing. I'm in a couple youth ministry groups on there where youth pastors all across America talk about different ideas and what they're doing with their groups. There's different groups for everything. Our church has a page. That's considered a community group on Facebook. There's other cyber communities. You know, we, we have, we had MySpace years ago. That's a community of people. I mean, and now we've moved on to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and whatever else is next. I still haven't figured out the prior two hardly. But there's stuff all the time. And they're, they're huge things. Like if you don't know, TikTok is a huge thing right now with different, following different people. And we've talked about that, how, how it seems like we know somebody on the internet and we know these groups of people, or we think we do, but in reality we really have no idea who they are. But we can keep up with their life through Facebook and social media. And so community, we really have kind of lost touch with what community actually is with the rise of social medias. And so this morning comes to my first point of I want you to rethink what community actually means. Rethink what community actually means. And yes, I got some crazy fonts going on right here. We're going youth group style this morning. So I want you to rethink what community means. When you think about it, our world is becoming more and more impersonal. You know, the, it's more convenient to not to have to meet up with somebody. That's why some people who have worked from home through this are like, man, I wish I could work from home every day. And then some of you are like, man, I can't wait to go back to work. Some of this, through some of this, you have valued the ability to go into an office or go into your job at the factory, whatever it might be, and you have valued that more. But it's becoming easier and easier to hang out with friends through a virtual online world than have to go face-to-face connection. It's easier to have a work meeting via FaceTime or via whatever you're looking at, Google Hangouts, whatever you're looking at. Or maybe you can even group text your family instead of meeting up with them at a family reunion. We're going to say, hey, we'll just get together online. You know, it's great. We'll, we'll uh, talk about life and how everybody's doing. But is that really what community is supposed to be like? I mean, think about it. You, we, when you think about the younger generation, the generation that's, that's coming up, I want you to consider the difficulties that I believe they're going to have communicating when all they want to do is text and don't really talk to one another. For those who grew up before the texting age, do you remember having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Think about this. Those who, those who grew up before the texting age, I'm right on that brink, okay? When I got my first girlfriend, we started to call. And so I was like in sixth grade, and it was like the most nerve-wracking thing ever. It's like, it's like, I hope she picks up. I hope she picks up. I hope it's not her dad. I hope it's not her mom. Just let it be her. And so at school, it's like on that Friday, it's like, because of course, you know, the weekend is like an eternity. Um, you can't go without them. So it's like, I'm going to call you Saturday night at like 8.03 p.m., okay? So I need you to answer right then. It was the most nerve-wracking thing ever because more times than not, the mom or dad would answer and you'd have to talk to them about that. And so that was just a crazy thing. Here, here I am, a little sixth-grade boy, trying to talk to just a girl. But it was, it was a big deal. Today, teenagers today just have the luxury of just texting and saying, hey, what's up, you know, or something like that. Or they, or they DM them on, on Instagram or, or message them on Facebook, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I'm still, I'm on the, like, the, y'all think I'm young, but I'm like on the tail end of all that stuff. And so I don't even know how to keep up with some of it sometimes. But this, you, 
we communicated before texting, we communicated with our voice. You were able to understand how people reacted and, and what they, if they were actually interested in you or not, or if they were just blowing you off, you could tell what it was. You heard their voice. You know, and I wonder if the church today has followed the ways of the world and become more virtual than real. After all, if you don't want to attend worship, you can always watch on TV or online. Now, of course, we're going through some weird circumstances right now, so it might be safer for them to stay home, and that's fully okay. But I'm just talking about having the convenience of it, of saying, you know, I, I'm fully healthy, but I, I'm, I'm just going to sleep in this morning, and I'll watch it later this afternoon. Has our church adapted to that? And in Romans chapter 12, what we're going to read today, we can see how maybe we can reclaim what true community and worship is in the church. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to read the first eight verses here this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to, the, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it accordingly to the pro proportion of one's faith. I'll get it out in a second. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy and with cheerfulness. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you just for loving us so much that you'd send Jesus to die for us. Father, forgive us where we have failed you in, the, in this idea of community that you've called us to. Father, as we dive into your word today, God, reveal to us something new. God, I pray that we would learn how to use our gifts for your honor and your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is Paul writing to the church of Rome. So the church of Rome had, had some, had some uh, difficulties, just like every church has. It would be like him writing a letter to the church at Sicilia. That would be our official title, you know, here. And so he's writing this letter, and he's just explaining, like, you guys really need to get a grip on reality of what community is and how everybody needs to be involved in the church. It's not just one person's job. It's not just the pastor's job, but it is everybody's job. And so I want you to think about this this morning. You know, we, we look around the sanctuary and we say things like, well, that person is nothing like me. We don't look alike. We don't have the same interests. That person's 20 years younger than me. That person's 25 years older than me. Whatever it is, we, we look around and we point out the differences before anything else, you know, and we don't look for commonalities instead. We don't have the same interest as what we say to each other, but God says that we are one body through common faith in Jesus Christ. And each member belongs to one another. I mean, think of the implications of that statement. We belong to each other in the sense of community because we all come together with this community of faith because that is our commonality. We have that one thing in common. But yet we're so focused on when we come here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or even at home when you're thinking about it, you're just like, man, I wish I had more friends at church. I, just, well, I wish there was more people my age there. I wish there was more people who would do more stuff. I wish they could do this, and yada, 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 and the, just the list goes on and on of complaints. When we don't think about the commonalities that we do have, we don't think about what these, the, the community of faith believers that we have here. 
I want you to think, though, moving past that, I want you to think about your actual family, your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters. You know, I want you to specifically think about your parents right now. Think about your parents. We, we love our parents, you know, whether we want to admit it or not. We love our parents. But guess what? Our parents drive us absolutely crazy sometimes. Wouldn't we agree? Let, let's agree. Some of us I know have lost our parents. I've lost my mom a couple years ago. I loved her to death, but she drove me crazy sometimes. She did. And my dad still drives me crazy sometimes, but I love him to death. We, we love our parents, but there are those times when they drive us crazy. And parents, you're looking over at your kids saying, you drive me crazy is probably what you're saying. They, our parents, we'll use kids too for those of you who have kids here, they know exactly what to do and say that will push our buttons. They know exactly, they know exactly what to say or do. Most of the time, it's what, to, what they do that drives us crazy. And there are those times that we've lashed back. You know, as, as a child of, you know, myself, I have said hurtful things or embarrassed uh, my parents, I would say. And I'm sure that your kids have done the same to you, that they've hurt you or that they have embarrassed you in some sense. But... Nonetheless, there's a common trait that binds us together. No matter how much they embarrass us, how much um, they hurt us, whatever it is, we love them because we share the same blood. That's just, that's just it. And in the end, we love them no matter what. And the same holds true for people who have siblings. How many of y'all have, had, have siblings in here? All right, a lot of us have siblings, okay? Well, I have a brother and a sister. I have a sister who is seven years younger than me, and I have a brother who is nine years younger than me. So just think about that growing up. Here I am. I'm nine years older than my littlest brother. So basically, I was at that age when I was a teenager, when they were at the age of literally everything they did annoyed me. So I feel for my parents, and my parents, I'm sorry, because I was probably the worst teenager in the world. But it was true. There was just such a big age difference between me and my sister, who was seven years younger than me, or my brother, who was nine years younger than me. So therefore, we fought, and we fought a lot. Now, none of you all have fought with your siblings, have you? I didn't think so. Nobody fights with their siblings. But, you know, no matter how much my sister, and I can say this because I tell her every day, how much my sister gets on my nerves still, I love her to death. I love her to death because we share the same blood. We support each other, and we love each other. No matter at the end of the day, we come back and we can hug each other and love each other. They're my siblings, and we share the same blood. I want you to look around the room this morning, and what I just shared with you about my family is probably the same for each and every person in here at some point in their lives. Now, many of us might have had family members who have passed on, you know, but you can think about the times back when you were growing up, about the fights and the quarrels that maybe you had with your family. And, you know, I want you to think about the, uh, the people in this room, though, the person sitting beside you, the person sitting across the room from you, we are family too. We share the same blood, essentially, in Jesus Christ. If they're a saved person, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are family. And no matter how much we think that person next to us has nothing to do with us, or how much they think that, that we hate them, or that they hate us, or that they have nothing in common, or they're 40 years older than me, or whatnot, put all that aside. We're family. We are family in Christ, and we are a community. And that's the most special thing about church, is that we are family in Christ. We share the same blood, and that is the blood of Christ. We are family because we've said yes to Jesus, and God adopted us as his children. And now we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We share the same blood of Christ that was shed for you and I for the forgiveness of our sins. 
It's what we just celebrated whenever we sing these songs, whenever we, we come to worship. It's what we celebrate. We celebrate the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul addresses here in the verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, this morning, moving on to the second point, now that we kind of get this idea of what community means, I want us to think about what it means to be a transformational church. Okay, we've talked about having community in church, and we've talked about what it means to have community outside the church. Think about what it means to be a transformational church. Rather than thinking of that we're non-related people from different walks of life, I want us to think of ourselves as one big family of God. And hopefully you already think that way. But for those of you who don't, I want you to think about that for a second. Despite the fact that we may not agree with other people in this room, we don't look alike, we don't dress alike, Whatever it might be, some of us don't worship alike, we still share the same blood and the blood of Jesus Christ that we talked about, making us family. We are to love our family members, for each person in this room is significant and important. We all have a voice, we all have an opinion, and nobody's is less than somebody else's. That's, in verse 1, going back to that, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In order to learn and grow as community, as a community of church and uh, believers in Jesus Christ and as worshipers, it's time that we earnestly contribute to the work of the body of Jesus Christ. Being living sacrifices, as the Bible says, as Paul says here, it means that we need to get out of the comfortable realm of what we're used to in this mode of feed me, serve me, We have to get away from the me, me, me mentality to the I want to serve others. It's one of the ways we move from focusing on ourselves to looking at others. And it's one of the ways we worship God. And we have this great opportunity to please God by the way we live our lives. So many times when we come to church and we point out these differences and we're like, we're like, oh, I can't serve anywhere. I don't, I, I don't think of anybody serve. I don't want to serve in the nursery. The only other people who are signed up are old people. Or I don't want to serve with the youth. The, the people who help out down there are just too young. I don't fit in there. I can't sing in the choir. They're all women in the choir. I don't know. We can think of all these different things and we just make excuse after excuse after excuse to not serve the body of Christ. And sometimes to not even come to church. We come to church and we're just like, well, Brother Billy's going to sing those same old hymns again and I just don't want to hear it. I've heard them my whole life and I just don't want to hear it. Or maybe you're thinking, well, Brother Billy said that he was going to sing a contemporary song this morning and I don't want none of it. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to hear my old hymns. That's it. You know, it's time we move past this me, me, me mentality, this idea of what can I get from the church, but instead of What can I do for the church? It's time that we adopt that mentality. In any community, the group functions best when every person contributes. That's that's an easy statement to make. We would all agree with that. If every person's contributing, the boat moves a lot more easily than it would without it. The same is true in the church. The church can function at its best when everyone is doing their part, when everyone's involved in ministry. Church experts say, give this statistic, and we've all heard it before, that... 80% 80% of the people, excuse me, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. If only 80% of the people did the work, we'd be doing great. But these experts say that 20% of people do 80% of the work around the church. That's nursery, children's church, that's maybe coming to help move tables, that's serving meals, whatever it might be. 20% of you are doing it all. And that means that 80% of you all are not participating in it. 
That's just true. That's the way it is. But according to a study done by George Gallup, really only 10% of the people in church are active in ministry. God equips each person with spiritual gifts. Paul gives us this short list of gifts here in verses 6 through 8 about all these different ones. And he even goes into greater detail over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we won't get into that today, where he talks about how the body of Christ can only be unified when everyone is doing their part. In order to be a healthy learning community and growing community, we need to become a family of God and learn about our gifts and use them as living sacrifices offered to God. You know, we talked about this in youth group just a few weeks ago about how we are all a part of the body. We are unified in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 goes into greater detail about that when Paul's writing about how we all have a part in the church and we cannot operate unless we are all functioning at the same time. It kind of goes back to just your whole human anatomy and we're not going to get into that this morning, but think about your body. You've got different parts. You've got fingers, you've got hands, you've got all this stuff. You've got arms, neck, eyes, and they all do a different purpose. And if one day your right arm says that I don't want to work anymore and not doing anything, you're going to have to learn how to adapt without it, and it's going to be harder to do it. And some of you have physical ailments that you've learned how to get over. You know, maybe you've had knee problems, or maybe you've had ankle problems, or whatever it might be. You've learned how to deal with it. But I think we could all agree that if our bodies all did their job, every part of our body, then it would be a lot easier to get by. We would know how to function a lot easier. And the same is true for the church. Same is true for the church. You know, even if not anybody volunteered to do the nursery or children's church or whatever, you know, there's a lot of kind. That's just what speaks dear to me. We could get by. We could get by. We'll find somebody last minute to hopefully go in there. But, man, we would have such a more healthier and functioning children's ministry, youth ministry, name the above ministry, whatever, bus ministry, if people would volunteer to help out. And if everybody did their part, this would be one of the healthiest churches that we, anybody had ever seen. We all have a different part. Now, I'm going to do a test this morning, and many of you probably don't know. That's okay. I'm a huge football fan. Huge, 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 huge football fan. And so I did some contract research over my favorite team, okay? Because I got to thinking about some of the most important positions on a team. And for those of you, think about any sport, though. I'm just a football fan, so this is what I did. Think about the most important people on your team, the most important positions. If it's basketball, it's probably like point guard and like center. You know, those are pretty important positions. But I'm going to look at my football team, the New Orleans Saints. And so the quarterback, we would probably arguably say that's one of probably the most important positions on the team. Drew Brees, he makes $25 million a year, $50 million contract. And to me, that's like, my gosh, that's a lot of money. But in reality, that was a steal for them to get that, him for that price. Wide receiver, it's another Important position, they catch the ball. For those of you who don't know that, they run different routes and all this stuff uh, to get down the field, and they have to be able to fight off an opponent to grab the ball and hopefully score a touchdown. Michael Thomas, arguably one of the best wide receivers in the league, makes $25 million a year, $100 million contract for five years. Now the kicker, okay? We wouldn't think about that. The kicker, the guy who kicks off, the guy who kicks um, extra point attempts, the guy who kicks field goals. Nobody thinks about him until it's like down to like a game-changing point. You know, like when the, when the uh, field goal, when there's like three seconds on the clock and they're down by two and they can kick a field goal and win. Nobody thinks about them until they come out. So the kicker, he doesn't get paid hardly as much. Will, Will Lutz is the kicker for the Saints. He makes $4 million a year. And then here's in a position that most people don't think about when they think about football. You think about running backs, you think about wide receivers, quarterbacks, all that good stuff, but the left tackle. 
The left tackle for the New Orleans Saints is named Teron Armstead. He makes $65 million for five years, roughly $13 million for a position that many people have never even heard of. And many people won't even reference that as an important position. But why would that be an important position? It's because if he's not doing his job, Drew Brees is going to get sacked like none other. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it means that they tackle the quarterback before he can even get the ball away and do anything remotely. He's going to get drilled to the ground. It's a very important position, but it's one that's not talked about a lot. It's one that's not really heard of a lot. And so you're like, well, why does, it, why does that matter? Why are we even talking about that? Because the same goes true for the church. This is, positions like that is what forms a community. Nobody can do it on their own. We all need one another. Each person is vitally important to the team, and each person is vitally important to the community of the church. No one is exempt. You all can play an important role, and we have to if we want our church to function as a healthy, transformational church. You know, when we stop being a church that cares about transforming lives and seeing people come to Jesus Christ, when we stop being a transformational church, we have lost focus. We have lost focus of what it means to be a church. We are no longer a church when it comes to that, but instead we're just a Christian country club. We come to church on Sunday mornings, we sing a song or two, we listen to the sermon, we say hey to our brothers and sisters, and then we just go home. We don't have to worry about anything else. I'll see you next Sunday, or I'll see you Wednesday night. That's it. I'm not going to volunteer to come help Daryl do something around the church this week. I'm not going to volunteer to help hang some stuff on the wall. I'm not going to help set up for VBS. I'm not going to do any of that, but I'm going to show up on Sunday morning. I'll put my tithe in the offering plate, Austin, because I know that's what you're asking for. It's not. It's not. What I'm asking is for everyone to do their part. And that leads us to the next point this morning of will you do your part? Everybody has a part when it comes to the church. Everybody can serve in their own spot. You know, if you're not comfortable with teaching, that's okay. You don't have to. We've got plenty of other positions. If you want to teach, we've got plenty of those. We all have different gifts. Maybe your gift's cooking, serving the kitchen. You know, I know we're not doing meals right now, but we will eventually. You know, if you're good at driving, we need van drivers. We need people to ride with those van drivers to help keep kids under control. We have all kinds of positions. Everybody has a role. Verse 2, Paul adds, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For many of us, it means that we need to unlearn the negative and harmful patterns of the way we seek the American dream. In order to live in true community, to have true and proper worship, we need to let go the negative patterns in this world. You know, we live in a very me-centered world. It's obvious. I mean, we... We can look at any commercials, and they're all geared towards of what that company can do for you or what they say that you deserve better out of your insurance or whatever. Think about it. It's all a very me-centered world. It's not what we, it's, if it's not what we want, we complain, we kick, we scream, we make a scene. Now, we might not actually do that, but we make a scene, and we're pretty good at it a lot of the times. We blame others. We need to step back and take a good look in the mirror at who we are and our motivations for what we do. Are we building... T- are we seeking to build the community or to sabotage it? I think if we're being honest, some of us come here just to sabotage it. And I'm not trying to be critical or anything this morning, but do we have a desire to worship the Lord when we show up to church? Do we have a desire to serve the Lord when we show up to church? 
You know, are we looking to see if the music is right, if the sermon is right, if the heating and air conditioning is set just right? Or are we here to worship the Lord? Are we here to see what so-and-so's doing? Well, so-and-so said he was going to do this at church this Sunday morning, so I'm going to show up just to see if he does it or whatnot. Are we looking for that? Are we looking just to come and be pleased and to be served? Are you coming to please and serve the Lord in worship? The world tells us it's about me, about us. I need to be pleased. I need to be satisfied. But that's not the way the church is supposed to work. You know, the world's going to tell you, if they don't cater to your needs, you need to leave and fuss and kick and scream on your way out so they know where you stand and they know what they need to do to get you back. That's not how we need to be as a church. We need to be a church that's looking to serve others and looking for ways that we can serve and not worry about our needs. You know, that's not the way the church is supposed to work. You see, we've brought this mentality of the secular world into our private sphere of worship into this private sphere of thinking. That's not what the church is about. It's not about us. It's about having everything in common. It's about sharing life together. It's about worshiping God together. Church is not about what what can you do for me, or I'm excited to hear my style of music. I'm excited to hear my style of a sermon. It's not what it's about. It's about worshiping God. It's about sharing our struggles, sharing our grief, our sadness, our trials. And at the same time, it's about sharing those triumphs, our successes, and our joys together with one another. You know, church is really a private matter, but church is also really a public matter. It's about community as we come together. One of the things that really makes me, makes me upset, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on anybody's toes this morning, but I'm guilty of doing it myself, so I'm stepping on my own toes this morning, is when people get so excited about, you know, sporting events. They're like, I can't wait to go to this football game or this NASCAR race, or I can't wait to go on this vacation. You know, we're going to the beach or wherever, you know, we're going to Europe. Praise the Lord, if you can afford that. We're going to these places, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, when, when are you leaving? It's like, oh, brother, we're leaving Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, and I'm excited. And I'm like, awesome, because I know the people who are excited about that are the same people who won't come to church on Sunday morning because they say that 11 o'clock is too early. They won't come to Sunday school because they say, I just can't get out of bed. I'm just tired. I'm tired and I don't want to, I don't want to be able to do that. Or they can't come to some, some other function. They can't do that, but yet they can do that. They can go on these vacations. They can get excited about going to all these places. They can't do that. Or they'll say, yeah, Austin, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coaching this team or I'm, I'm volunteering at the, at the community club to do this and all this, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, why won't you serve at VBS here then? If you're so good at teaching kids, if you're so good at helping out with babies, why can't you help here? Or if you're willing to, to put on performances and sing, you know, and, and sing on Facebook and all that, why can't you sing here? We have a place for everybody but we have to make church a priority in our life. You know, what really bothers me, what really bothers me is when people back at the beginning of this, uh, of the quarantine, when we were talking about when everything was kind of getting shut down back in March, they were like, oh, you can't shut the churches down. Don't you shut them down. That's my right to worship. You're darn right it is. It is our right to worship. You're, nothing's wrong with that. But what makes me upset is when we open I see 
Not half of those people who were saying that on Facebook, who were saying that in person, they didn't show up. We opened it for you, but you didn't come. But yet, you, I'm seeing pictures. Oh, you can, you can go to the beach. You can go to sporting events. You can go to all this. You can go to the, the grocery and all that. And, you know, and I know there's health issues. I'm not trying to, to demean that by any means. Guys, listen, I'm not. But what I'm saying is if, that if you are healthy enough where you can go to all these places and you can go to all, do all these things, but yet say, I, I, I can't come back to church yet. Is church a priority to you? Is, not even church. Is, is God a priority to you? It hurts my heart to see these, these people who are doing that. And I, and I want to say, please, we still love you here. We're not mad at you, but will you please make this a priority? Worshiping God a priority. If we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to the church world, most of the time we sleepily arrive to church. We show up, you know, couple minutes past 11 or when Sunday school's there, we say a few quick hellos. We yawn a little, and we wonder if the music will be good. I hope Brother Billy sings a good song today. Well, I hope the sermon keeps my attention. I hope Brother Donnie or Brother Austin is engaging today. I hope it's not too long. I hope we get out before 12. I really got to get over to Cracker Barrel to eat, or we got to get our spot over at Buffalo Wild Wings. It's going to fill up if we don't get there. I hope it's not too hot again. Last Sunday, it felt like it was 80 million degrees in that sanctuary. Or I hope it's not too cold. I just can't, I can't deal with it being cold. And the list goes on and on. We've come prepared for the worst. It's like we have this checklist of everything. It's like, I know this is going to be wrong, this is going to be wrong, this is going to be wrong. But yet, where's your list of stuff that you know that is important? The reason we're here is to worship. We're here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This should be the highlight of your week, is being able to come to church. We should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We should come here excited about what's going to happen. We come here giving 100% of ourselves to God in this wonderful and powerful time of worship. So, this call from Paul for you and I is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What's interesting is that our mind is kind of neutral. That sounds really strange, but it, 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 if our mind takes in no information, our mind remains neutral. There's nothing kind of going on there. When informed by evil, it becomes an instrument of evil. When informed by the Spirit of God, our mind becomes an instrument of good. Our mind learns the difference between good and evil. So Paul is referring to our mind which differentiates good and evil. When we follow that which is good, our minds, our thinking process focuses on the good. And that's what Paul is after in this passage. And that's why it is my desire for people to come to church because that is where you're going to hear good. Or that's where you're supposed to hear good, but some of us make it miserable to come to church. We need to make this environment of an environment of worship, an environment of community, an environment of a place where people want to come. It's like they've got it going on over there. I want to come there. And it's important because this is the place where you're going to hear good stuff. You can hear evil stuff all through the week when you go to work, and we know that you're going to hear it. That's just, that's just the world we live in. You're going to hear evil stuff. And if you stop coming to church, your mind's going to get full, more full of evil and evil and bad and bad instead of good and good and good and good. You know, the Spirit works on us from the inside out, helping to break that hard heart that blinds us. 
So the Spirit works from the outside in to bring us the truth of Christ, and at the same time works from the inside out, bringing transformation to us. Our job is to have an openness to listen and learn and love. We listen, learn, and love through the Holy Spirit and through one another. We find our way when we embrace love, when we embrace Christ, not just with head and knowledge, but because we need our heart and mind transformed. As we seek to grow in Christ, and as we seek to grow in community, and as we grow in worship, we grow in community, we grow in worship. And this, my friends, is what changes the world. Because we need our heart and our mind transformed. Because through this, we become the difference makers in the world. We're going to be the different ones. We're going to be the ones that they say, what, what, what's, what's different about him? Why is he showing them, them grace? Why is he being nice to them? Why isn't he trying to work his way up through the ladder and do all the behind-the-scenes stuff to try to you know, undercut somebody? Well, it's because he knows who Jesus is. And he knows what life's really about. It's because she's had transformation in her life. She knows what the love of Jesus Christ is. The world needs difference makers today. And as we prepare for the week ahead, and as you prepare for next Sunday, I pray that you open your heart, your spirit, and your mind. Use the power of Christ to change the world and to change your entire being from the outside in and from the inside out. Show the world who Jesus is by the way you worship him, the Christ, the Savior, your Savior, my Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we're going to be the church who, just like our slogan is, is connecting people to know, grow, and go in Christ. We're going to be that church. But until we can do that, where's our hearts? Where's our hearts? And maybe for some of you in here this morning, you're like, Austin, I have no idea what it means to be transformed, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you, come forward. I'll keep my distance, I promise. I'll put my mask back on if I need to. I don't care. I would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or if you want to call me up, whatever, I don't care. I want to talk to you about what that means because that, first of all, is the most important thing that could ever happen to you. That's the biggest transformation that can happen to you. But for some of us who've been Christians for many, many years, maybe it's time that your, your mind and your heart gets retransformed because we've kind of gotten back to that hardened stage of, well, I've been a Christian for 60 years. You know, I'm, I'm good. I know the stuff I know, and that's all I need to know. Let's not be like that. Let's be open to the love of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for your love above all. Father, we are so unworthy of your love. We're unworthy to come in here and worship you, Father. Help us not to take that for granted. Father, Lord, I pray that we would be a difference maker in our world. Help us to live a transformed life for you. Father, help us to do all things for your honor and your glory. And God, I pray if there's anybody in here today Lord, who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, that they would get that changed, Lord, that you would burden their heart. God, knock on their heart this morning, God, where they can't do anything but come to know you. And Father, for those in here who we've been Christians for a while, but maybe our heart has been hardened by just the events of the world and just the events that's happened in our lives, God, change that. God, wreck us. God, shake us so that we can be the true Christ follower that you have called us to be, one with integrity and one with love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.